This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Wong. Join us on our quest for a world in which many worlds fit. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. You can follow us online at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl. Welcome back, dear listeners. After the eight warming up talks we collected, we'd like to welcome you to this new series of podcasts in our search for the Plurivers, Testing Istanbul's Waters. In five short talks, we anticipate on the upcoming Thirst Walk, due to take place two weeks from now, as part of the closing activities of the fifth Istanbul Design Biennale, Empathy Revisited. This thirst-provoking walk will provide perspectives on water from designer Noor Orsanale, urbanist Yashar Adnan Adanale, ecologist and activist Lian Poa, and architects Eva Pfannes and Sylvain Hartenberg from Ouz. Artist Serkan Taijan will be our virtual guide. Water supply in urban areas is vital, no exception for Istanbul, where the water distribution system dates back to pre-Roman times. So we ask in this episode, water as a commons, as a metaphor, as politics. Who quenches whose thirst? Yashar, welcome on this Friday morning. Welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for making time to, to speak to us. Eric Wong and I, we found out about your practice uh, through a, uh, a series that was streamed last June in um, the Infected City series. And it was organized by Dutch Culture and the, the Netherlands Consulate had quite a big role in casting the different guests. And uh, you showed that day a map um, that was uh, about the, the spreading of the contaminations of the coronavirus across the city. Could you describe for our listeners what that map was showing in your, in your eyes? Yeah, sure. So basically, that is a map that uh, put on Istanbul map each positive cases and then show the clusters of the density of uh, the viruses according to various uh, neighborhoods. And I choose uh, one particular location that is divided by a highway. And on the northern part, it is mostly the working class neighborhoods in a much more dense setup with very uh, less uh, public open spaces. And on the south of that road, it was the more middle high income uh, residential areas with much more open spaces. And clearly, uh, there was a very high contrast in terms of the density of the, the viruses. And basically, there, my idea or what I wanted to underline is the the goods and the bads in the city, the crisis and the benefits are not equally experienced by the citizens. You know, there's always a justice dimension and whatever issues that we look at and the information should highlight that and mapping either it could be a tool that kind of make these differences invisible, but also it could be an empowering tool that actually highlight where the injustices lies. And so it is, the intention of that tool, that map that I showed, wasn't actually to show that disparities, but then we can comment on it. We can really have further readings. Yeah, so it's a kind of visual literacy in a way that you are aiming at, I guess. Let me share with our listeners uh, a little bit of your trajectory. Um, so Yashar, you are an urbanist, researcher and lecturer. You're based in Istanbul, as we just heard. 
And uh, you have specialized over the years in participatory planning and design. And this has come about through a number of uh, phases. You did a bachelor initially in social and political sciences from Sabanshi University. Your master degree uh, you hold from development planning unit at University College in London. And there you were focusing on poverty reduction and social inclusion policies already. Uh, and your PhD research uh, in Habitat Unit, which you did at the TU in Berlin, was dealing with spatial democracy and neighborhood movements, also, also in Istanbul. So when you, see, when you take all these things together, you already feel that, the, let's say, the city as a social fabric, I think, is really what inhabits you or what drives you in your practice. Because you also co-founded and you are currently the director of Center for Spatial Justice formerly known as Beyond Istanbul. And I believe that Beyond Istanbul has evolved, right, in a, in a journal. Can you say something about that? Like how Beyond Istanbul has led to the Center for Spatial Justice? It's the journey that we went through with uh, my friends, my, uh, my colleagues, the people that we produced together, actually, at, in, a, in, a, in a more informal way initially that, you know, the architects, planners, social scientists, artists, you know, we start kind of producing together. And Beyond Istanbul at first was uh, just an initiative that aimed to understand, produce knowledge for the city, mainly for Istanbul, but to go beyond that, to go beyond the most visible, to go beyond the most highlighted part of the cities, but also to go beyond Istanbul and to kind of seek uh, others uh, maybe understudied or under kind of worked areas as well. And over the years, this initiative, we come to the realization that there's a huge potential to actually institutionalize, but in a way, um, aim for an alternative institutionalization experience. You know, it was not in the easiest period in Turkey, in Istanbul, you know, things has been politically shifting drastically. But also all this shift has a very direct impact on our spatial conditions, our cities, but also in our countryside where the cities are extremely connected. These transitions, transformations, not necessarily always come with the just outcomes. And we feel the necessary intervention for actually seeking these um, changes, making, producing its knowledge, and then disseminating and to have an impact over broader publics. What is, for our listeners, what, how do you connect the spatial and the social? What, what is that? Because that's, I think, very crucial to, your, to the Center for Spatial Justice. In, in a nutshell, like, we know that every social issue has a spatial dimension. You know, that is our argument. So if we are discussing about access to education or healthcare or housing, you know, this is also, these are all spatial issues. So we have to, to have this perspective, like what is the spatial aspect of these social justice topics that we are dealing in our lives? You know, this a mega project that is planned without consultation to the citizens just dropped from sky have huge consequences for social injustices. And that was our kind of idea. Yeah. So then how, how do you do that? Because um, you already highlighted a little bit how the center came into being and that you were, you're bringing together, in fact, different 
methodologies, different forms of experiences, right? I, I know you work with investigative journalism. You also work with uh, citizen initiatives that you monitor. You work with data visualizations. So you make your own maps. You don't just comment on existing maps, but also you make your own maps. I was looking at all the different actions that you that you do as a as a center, and one of the things that st stuck out for me was the the walks, the neighborhood walks that you organize. So there is one entitled the Urban Transformation and Resistance Walk. Would you like to describe that walk for our listeners? Like, where does the walk go, and what does it deal with, and why walking actually as a tool? Sure. I mean, walking or in a larger scale. Being on the field is, for us, is one of the major way of actually producing knowledge. And uh, that is maybe very kind of obvious, but not necessarily our, our practices are based on that. You know, that walking or, as I said, being on the field is allowing us to actually constantly check our, our missions. Like if we are on the right track, our, our, if we are on the right questions, if we are making the right connections with the nature, with the people, with the communities. So in a way, we are constantly learning as a center and keeping our mandate up to date with the real problems of the real people and, uh, and beyond that. So that's why we believe in walks. Uh, we call them special justice walks. And there are uh, various ways, uh, various routes that we take. And we try to build teams that can bring different capacities to these field actions. Uh, we have always uh, in our team uh, storytellers. We have always in our team videographers, architects, urban planners, journalists. Some of our uh, walks take around 10 days. Uh, you know, we take a whole river basin from where the water uh, spring to all the way it meet to the sea. No? So for, for 10 days, 15 days, and there are a team of 8 to 10, sometimes 12 people, including legal experts, communication people, and social scientists. And before that, we make a pre-map where we will uh, go through what are the pre-identified problems, issues, hopeful stories on that road. And we also get appointment with the local actors that are actually, you know, cap the agency of these areas and try to understand and then depict, narrate these uh, collected stories. So that is our, one of the major approach, how we are working. Can you recall maybe the last, the last time you did that? Because I believe that's a yearly walk that you do to kind of keep yes. in check also how the situation is going. Can you re recall in the last walk you did around that river basin, how like an assumption you had or a certain idea you had about what's going on there yeah, I mean, got, got counter, <laughs> yeah, got changed by an encounter on the spot or something that happened? We are at the moment uh, constantly walking along uh, the projected new mega project of the city, the canal project, right? So there is this, uh, I guess you will get into that at some point. Uh, so it's a 40 kilometers uh, area. And with our team, we have been document holistically all the issues around that basin. So it is a, a freshwater basin that connect two seas that have a lot of issues. And from 
and this is one of the major topics, right, in the country and in the probably it will be in the world as well, like huge canal project, especially after the Suez uh, exactly, crisis yeah. recently, you know, similar, but going beyond that because the canal comes with a huge urban development perspective, you know, like the aim is actually transform the agricultural, ecological water resource area into a new city. So this is the major, major issue. And the way in which we discuss this project, when you don't really be on the field, on at the eye level, you know, like it's because the scale of the interventions are so huge, we also miss that real connection with the land, with the water, with the animals, nature and the people. When you go there, it is totally different uh, experience. You know, you first of all hear many sounds like the birds and, you know, different animals. You see the cracking of the insects on the land. You see a lot of production going on, agricultural production, you know, a lot of reproduction going on. And then you see the value of the water that actually at the end eventually come all the way to our streets, our, our houses in Istanbul, you know, in which is a scarcity in, in, in the water is a scarcity in Istanbul. And it will be even further with the climate change uh, in the near future. And you get even more kind of shocked how we can even discuss such scale project while we have this kind of realities on the ground at the moment. Like it is such an asymmetrical existing. And only when you are there uh, and you start documenting and you start kind of making connections, you come to realization the insanity of uh, what is being proposed. Yeah, it, it's interesting that because of your training, perhaps, scale is such a such an important aspect of, of practicing as, as an urbanist that you feel, yeah, the way you explain it now, I think you it becomes very tangible, this shock of scales, let's say, the scale at which such a mega project is imagined and, and the scale at which a river... Uh, and all its actants around, let's say, is alive. And it reminds me of a quote by Ouz, the architecture duo that we interviewed a few days ago, also for this, uh, for this same episode of the podcast series. They said that uh, for them, the scale of the neighborhood is where changes can manifest between the body, like the individual body, but also the, the collective body, and the planetary scale that there is really like the scale of the neighborhood is actually a very overlooked scale that we kind of need to readdress or re-embrace and focus on. And it's perhaps also the only scale at which we can think about commons. Common müşterek, müşterek in Turkish. Is this what you mean? Yeah, like because we are watersh should be a commons, right? Mm. I mean, I think that we can all agree that without water, we cannot live on this planet. And this is precisely what we are interested in, actually, the tension between water as a commons, as also a cultural use, an imaginary, and water being implemented as an instrument of policy making. And then there is another project related to water at the moment in Istanbul, which from where I stand but this is I'm calling in from The Hague in the Netherlands so you have to tell me how it how it is in Istanbul. Um, it seems to be rather popular and it's the decision by your current mayor 
Ekrem Imamoglu to reactivate the drinking fountains in the, in the city. And I was wondering how you look at that from, from your perspective and from all the work you've done on, the, on this river basin and on Canal Istanbul. Yeah, I think I, I support that idea that are, you know, because that is also bring us to this debate around scale, no? Like, as you said, the, the real change that could, uh, that could happen at the neighborhood scale, these fountains are actually built in the past as a, a civic uh, monuments or civic services to the neighborhoods to bring water uh, from outskirts of the city to from the periphery, sometimes outside the city, through uh, very elaborated infrastructure all the way to our you know neighborhoods uh, in the past. But for many years, they just you know lost their meaning. They they lost it is. How come they lost their meaning? Like they, they just were not maintained or? Yeah, they were not maintained. And then once the relying on those fountains also kind of change, you know, once you have the tap water in your house, in the modern city in the past hundred years, of course, the public fountains that once serve all the community has another uh, meaning. But the fountains have, uh, you know, they are not just one thing, you know, it's, they, it's not just, there to provide water, which is very important, by the way, but they are also public spaces. They are actually very important factors for placemaking. It brings community together. It is a heritage spot. It's in a way, you know, beautify your own surrounding. It is, they are all you know, with a beautiful facade uh, at some point, you know, with a craftsmanship is very much visible on, on these structures. So in a way they should be cherished by the communities around and you know actively even can be used uh, we see when they are become active again then when they are fixed people right away start using them and so they have a use value they have a, a very symbolic value for the neighborhood surrounding uh, and it really make our life better so uh, I think it's a brilliant uh, idea to kind of re restore these fountains, to kind of carefully fix them and bring back to life. And very simple with a very little investment required, no? Like, but also it also shows the kind of this, again, the scale. What scale are we dealing uh, when we are uh, dealing with our cities? You know, like are we, are we uh, focusing on the human scale, on the eye level, on the street level, the walking level, or are we uh, focusing on this kind of bird eye view or the helicopter eye view of the city? And how we deal with water from that scale is a very important question. Yeah. These drinking fountains that would be reactivated, would it be uh, drinkable water that would be tappable at these fountains? Or do you know where the water would come from? There's no politician that could claim now in Istanbul that you can safely uh, drink any kind of water, public water, tap water in the city. You know, that is not possible to claim, unfortunately. So, but I can see, I can observe that people are drinking these from these fountains. Uh, the water comes from mainly uh, the northern part of the city that have water uh, reservoirs, the, the forest areas. And the, unfortunately, uh, the dramatic part of the story is these major mega projects are actually 
targeting these water sources, this very limited water sources. So that is the very direct link of the mega with the human scale. No, like the water that comes from the fountain, this kind of this human scale infrastructure is directly being threatened by the the mega scale infrastructure, and that is also our struggle. You know. Yeah. It's a struggle, but um, let's hope that it's also a practice of hope. You work on that, right? Also, it's one of your aims to produce or perhaps reproduce practices of hope and spaces of hope. And it's beautiful because it reminds me of uh, something that Arturo Escobar, so the, the Colombian anthropologist that we are digging into this year, he talks about re-existing, actually. Not only resisting, but the struggle to re-exist. So I think it, it really fits with what you are talking about. Uh, we are coming to the end of, of this short teaser talk already, unfortunately. Yasha, thank you so much for your time uh, this morning. If our listeners want to follow you, they can go to the website. I will be posting the link under this uh, talk. Uh, I will be posting a couple of other links also. The series I mentioned from Infected Cities, but also the Hope Archive project that you are working on with the center, I think is because our listeners need hope too. Is there any news that you want to share, things that are happening right now that we should be tuning into? We recently uh, completed a, a bilingual project called Ecological Manifestos uh, for the Post-Pandemic uh, World, where we uh, take 12 subjects. And uh, one beautiful illustration accompanying a one manifesto, I'm a quote unquote manifesto, that touch upon the issues of water, environmental justice, etc. So they can find that publication on our website as well. And it's also have a podcast of the same publication. So I would recommend to just check it. Super. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This was one of the five teasers in the series Testing Istanbul's Waters, part of In Search of the Pre Rivers. Stay tuned for the next talk to be published soon. For more background on this project, you can dig into our Traveling Academy web magazine at prerivers.hedmiyainstitute.nl and you can follow us on Instagram at In Search of the Pre Rivers. My name is Sophie Krier and I had the pleasure to be your host today. The tune was by Jaco Miri, the post production is by Tsekao. In Search of the Pluriverse is part of the Travelling Academy, an initiative of Het Nieuwe Institute in close partnership with the Consulate General in Istanbul and embassies in Germany, Morocco, Spain and the UK. The Travelling Academy brings together makers from these regions and the Netherlands to learn how formal and informal ways of knowing can support each other in tackling ecological, sociopolitical and spatial issues.